beginning at verse 24. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servants by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that may, they may have the full riches of complete understanding, in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this, so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are, and how firm your faith is in Christ. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him... You were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature. Not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with a circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. 
Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen and his unspiritual mind puffs up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack value in restraining sensual indulgence. If you were with us last week, we... uh, we began this uh, new series of uh, sermons that we're calling Everyday Disciples. Everyday Disciples. And uh, the, uh, the idea for this series comes from two sources really. It's the, uh, the Baptist Union of Great Britain's national strategy uh, to encourage missionary disciples. Uh, if you read any of the, uh, the Baptist Union stuff, you'll, you'll read a lot about making missionary disciples. And uh, the North Western Baptist Association has also uh, adopted that theme. And so it's the, uh, it's the Baptist Union theme. Uh, but also, um, Mark Green from the London Institute of Contemporary Christian has for a while been promoting this thing that he calls whole life discipleship. And so we're kind of uh, combining the two things and uh, coming up with this idea that we are to be everyday disciples. And uh, last week we were looking at uh, establishing everyday disciples. Uh, This week we're going to be looking at encouraging everyday disciples. And uh, next week we'll be looking at equipping everyday disciples and then empowering everyday disciples. And working through this book of uh, Colossians, looking at these uh, four chapters of Colossians. So we're thinking about everyday disciple. And we're putting the emphasis on being Christian people rather than just doing Christian things. The emphasis on who we are. And that idea that we are human beings rather than human doings. And uh, what we are and who we are and what we believe shapes our lives. And so... Encouraging Everyday Disciples. Mark uh, Green uh, sums up in a little video clip that we're going to uh, show you. uh, One of the reasons why making disciples is so uh, important. Humongous course of academic study, 
The evangelizers in ensuring that our church communities are committed to two values, to two overall goals against which we measure every aspect of church life. Firstly, are we really addressing all of them, or are we addressing just little bits of them? And secondly, are we committed to becoming a disciple-making community? This was Jesus' focus, and it was also his final instruction. Go there, what he said, and make disciples. Encouraging everyday disciples. That's what we're about today. We want to uh, encourage everyday disciples. And, uh, you know, it's very uh, easy uh, for us to get into the habit of, uh, of using our words. And uh, we can use words to encourage, but we can also use words uh, to discourage. And very often, the words that we say will either encourage or discourage. You may have heard the story of uh, the visiting preacher who at the end of the service was uh, was stood at the door and uh, greeting people and people were uh, greeting him and speaking to him and uh, one chap came up to him and uh, and said rubbish and uh, and walked away but he didn't just walk away he joined the back of the queue and uh, he came up again and he said uh, pathetic and uh, and he went away and he joined the back of the queue again. And he said, uh, the worst sermon we've ever heard. And he went away and he joined the back of the queue and said, I don't think I'm going to come again. And uh, the minister was obviously a bit perturbed. And the church secretary came up to him and uh, was chatting to him. And he said, this chap, he said, uh, he kept coming up to me and, and saying all these things. I, I found it a little bit unsettling. And the church secretary said, oh, don't worry about him. Uh, he's a little bit simple. He just goes around repeating what everybody else is saying. <laughs> Be careful what you say. Well, we want to use words this morning uh, that are not discouraging, but are encouraging. As uh, we think about how we can encourage everyday disciples. And if we look at Paul... What he says in, uh, in Colossians, uh, the end of chapter 1 and in chapter 2, uh, one of the things that he does is he talks about presenting the word of God. In our aim of encouraging every disciples, we need to follow Paul's example in presenting the word of God in its fullness. Paul uh, says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. Mark uh, Green, um, in a, a publication, uh, How Can We Reach the UK? Imagine, he says, Bible reading has declined because we are not convinced that God has something essential and exhilarating to say about how we live Christianly. You see, if we believe that by reading God's word, it's going to help us in our everyday life, not only in our relationship with God, but our in relationship with other people and in how we live, uh, then that this is a book that we will come to love and to value, but a book that we will come to uh, want to read, not just because the minister says it's a good idea to read, but because we know that by reading God's word, by soaking ourselves in God's word, that it will make a difference in our daily lives. 
Bible reading has declined. People aren't reading as much uh, at all, and Bible reading has declined. And uh, you know, if we were to do a survey uh, amongst a church, uh, we would be shocked about how few people actually read the Bible, even Christian people, uh, on a weekly or daily basis, encouraging missionary disciples. Tell me honestly, my sermon was a little bit lackluster, wasn't it? You see, we've, we've lost that confidence in the power of God's word to actually make a difference, not only in our lives, but in the lives of other people. Paul talks about the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. If we want to encourage everyday disciples, then we need to be presenting the word of God in all its fullness. We need to be reminding people uh, to look into God's word and to be, to be talking about God's word. To be uh, sharing with one another when we've discovered something for ourselves in God's word and how it's helped us. So we need to be uh, presenting the word of God in all its fullness. That's what Paul was aiming to do. Presenting the word of God. Proclaiming, teaching the word of God. He describes himself as a servant given over to the role of presenting the word of God. And we need to do that. We need to help people to understand. Um, we can't just dip into the word and, and read it. Very often, uh, we need to help in understanding it. And uh, one of the ways that we do that is by discussing God's word together. And uh, I've been encouraged by the number of people that have uh, been participating in house groups. Uh, where we meet together on a weekly or fortnightly basis and uh, engage in God's word together so that we can, we can think about it, we can pray about it and uh, we can learn from one another. And if you're not part of a small group or a house group, then uh, do have a word with me and uh, I can uh, put you in touch uh, with a group. So we need to be people that understand God's word. And uh, Paul talks about himself as a servant of God's word, presenting the word of God. And of course we need to present it in a way um, that is accessible to people. We need to, uh, we need to use all the modern different ways of encouraging people uh, to engage in God's word. And of course, one of the great things about our society, you might uh, kind of sigh when you hear about modern technology and iPhones and iPads and all this, but actually there's a world out there of, of ways in which people can connect with God's Word in ways that they never could before. You know, you can access God's Word in so many different ways today. And uh, especially our young people, we can encourage them because there's so many resources out there to help us in presenting the Word of God. There's so many different versions of God's Word, uh, so many different different uh, things you can get, CD-ROMs and DVDs, there's so many things now. Uh, we live in a really rich age as regards to resources and uh, we need to engage and encourage our young people and children to engage uh, in God's word. So we need to uh, encourage in uh, the use of modern technology to present the word of God in all its fullness. 
We don't need to be frightened of technology. It's just because sometimes it goes wrong every now and again. And, uh, you know, we'll have all been in situations, uh, not just here, where people have engaged in technology. And someone will always come up and say, oh, it never happened in the good old days when we sang out of a hymn book. And, uh, you know, we smile at that. Uh, but we have to move forward. We have to move with the times. We have to make sure that people realise that the church of God and the Bible is relevant to this day and age. It's as relevant today as it ever was. And we don't need to fear the use of modern technology. Presenting the word of God. That's what Paul was about. And then Paul talks about perfecting the people of God. Presenting the word of God and perfecting the people of God. I know that sounds uh, pretty much impossible. Uh, Perfecting the people of God, that we're never going to be perfect. But perfecting is working towards being perfect. And this is what Paul says. That is why we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone in all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. So that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. We're working towards perfection. We've got a high goal. Uh, Most of us are a long way from perfection. But you know, the longer that we are followers of Jesus, the better we should become. The longer that we follow Jesus, the better we should become. We should become nicer people. The longer that we follow Jesus, the nicer we should become. The longer that we follow Jesus... The more generous we should become, the more hospitable, the more gracious, the more loving and the more caring. You see, just as we were saying to the youngsters before, you know, uh, being a disciple of Jesus is pretty simple really. It's about listening to what Jesus said and putting it into practice. It's about reading scripture and seeing what Jesus did and putting it into practice. If we look at some of the things that Jesus says, you know, that we are to love our enemies. He says that we are to forgive, and to forgive, and to forgive, and to forgive. He says that we are to show compassion to people. Just imagine if we live like that, uh, what a nicer person that we would be. Of course, the reality is that we are frail human beings, and we are far from perfect. And you and I know that we've met Christians who are not only not moving towards perfection, they seem to be moving in the opposite direction. I've met Christians who are rude. I've met Christians who are ungracious. I've met Christians who are narrow-minded. I've met Christians who don't really show a lot of care for the people that are lost. This shouldn't be the case. The longer that you and I have been following Jesus, the more evidence there should be in our lives of the fact that we've been putting into practice what Jesus says. Note that Paul says that this is a struggle. To this end I labour, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. And of course there's the clue in verse 29. We cannot do it by ourselves. It's Jesus' power, the power of the Holy Spirit, working within us 
that transforms and changes our lives. So that we may present everyone perfect. Paul says, to this end I labour, struggling. And you know, following Jesus, it is a struggle at times. It isn't easy. Naturally, I don't know why it is we seem to default into being discouraging people. It's much easier, isn't it? To be cynical and critical and to complain than it is to be an encouragement. To be one of those people that, you know, when you walk into the room, people think, oh great, this person's here. Let's not be those people that when they walk, when we walk into the room, people think, oh no, this person's here. We want to be an encouragement. We want to encourage one another in our daily lives, being everyday disciples. And we want to struggle. We want to struggle on. We want to grapple with scripture. We want to work it out in our daily lives. And the purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, Paul says in verse 2 of chapter 2. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. We have this treasure who is Christ. And he is no longer hidden from us. He has been revealed in scripture and uh, we can read about Jesus. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. And this should be our purpose too. We should make it our goal to be an encouragement to one another. We should make it our goal. Why don't you just see this week as you go about your week, how you can be an encouragement to those around you. You know, it's just, we encourage people by actually uh, complimenting them rather than complaining about them. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you or the person behind you and just make a nice remark about them. You might want to remark about their their haircuts, their clothes. Just say something to uplift them, encouragement. Just take a couple of minutes to do that now and uh, say something nice to the person next to you so that they feel welcomed and affirmed and encouraged. Okay, do you feel affirmed? Do you feel uh, uplifted? It's nice, isn't it? You know, when somebody makes a, a comment about you, it might be the fact that you, the, 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 uh, they say something nice about what you're wearing, about who you are, it makes you feel better about yourself. Just as the opposite is true, you know, when, when people make uh, discouraging remarks, we go away uh, feeling worse. The challenge this week is not only to be an encouragement to people, but see how long you can go without complaining. 
see, uh, seriously, make a record from when you leave the church today. See, time yourself. For some of you, it may only be minutes. It may only be seconds. Uh, for some, you may, you may, you may manage hours. Uh, some of you may even get into days without complaining. It's a kind of a British thing to do, isn't it? We complain about the weather, but we complain about everything. And sometimes when I, you know, get together with other ministers, um, it always seems to turn into, you know, a complaint about about something or other, and we don't seem to be together long before we start complaining. And it kind of brings everything down, doesn't it? And so why not? I'm serious. See how long time yourself before. Uh, see how long it is. Just just to see, you know, whether this is the way that we live. That we soon uh, revert back to complaining and being discouraging people. Because we want to be uh, an encouragement in heart and united in love. This is a picture of uh, a good friend of mine who's sadly no longer with us. Um, he was called Victor. And uh, he was somebody that, uh, that I knew when I, I grew up as a young Christian. Uh, I just bumped into him in, in Landudno a few years ago. And uh, this is the last time I saw him. Uh, about 12 months after this, sadly, he passed, a, uh, passed away. He had throat cancer. And the reason why he's got a, a pen and a, and, a, and a pad in his hand, I don't know if you can see, is because he couldn't speak because his throat cancer had affected his, uh, his vocal cords, so he couldn't speak. And he was desperately writing stuff down. And everything he wrote down was uh, he was wanting to encourage me in my ministry. This was a, a guy that when I was a youngster and uh, a very naive Christian, he got alongside me and encouraged me in the youth work. Uh, he worked at the time as a postman and uh, we ran a youth club on a Tuesday night. He used to come and pray with us on a Tuesday evening and then go to work. He was just an encouragement. When I finished college and, uh, and started at my first church, who turned up on the first Sunday but Victor? He'd made that journey just to be with me, to encourage me. He moved to Scotland when I moved to my second church. He, uh, he sent me a letter and a book and he said, I just want to continue to encourage you in your ministry. This is someone who throughout my ministry has just been a, a huge encouragement to me. And I've been blessed to have people like Victor in my life who have just been an encouragement to me. Because there's times when we all feel down. There's times when we, when we, if we're honest, we feel like giving up because maybe things aren't going well or going as we would like to. And there's nothing more encouraging than someone just to come alongside. And that's what the word, you know, encouragement means. It means to call alongside. And the idea is that, that somebody trying to move a heavy object when another person comes along to help. A discouraged individual is someone that's lost their courage. And when we come alongside, we can fill them with courage again to continue in the journey. Paul was an encouragement to the church. In each church that he visited, in each church that he wrote to, he always wanted to encourage them. He says to the Thessalonians, he says, Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, just as in fact you are now doing. If we want to perfect the people of God, we won't do it by knocking people down. We won't do it by complaining about the state of the church or the state of society. We will do it by, way, by encouraging one another, by lifting one another up, by spurring one another on to good deeds. Let's be an encouragement to one another. 
Perfecting the people of God. Let's pray for each other. Let's encourage the prayer life of one another as we, uh, as we seek to perfect one another. Mark Green, again in the book uh, Imagine, which uh, if, you've, if you've not got it, it's worth reading. He says, prayer has declined because we are not convinced that it will make any difference in our daily lives. Just as he says about scripture, the reading of scripture declining, so has prayer declined. And it's a saying, there's a kind of a loss of confidence in, in the Bible and in prayer and maybe in, in God things in general. It feels that we, that the, 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 sometimes that the world is against us. And uh, maybe that things aren't going the way that we would want. And uh, it's easy to think, you know, that, uh, that it won't make any difference. That, uh, that we lose confidence in the ability. And of course one of the problems is when it comes to prayer, is uh, we tend to think of prayer in a very narrow way, don't we? We tend to think of prayer of us asking God to do something. So we might ask God to make somebody better. We might ask God to change some circumstance. We might ask God to provide something. And it's a kind of very narrow view of prayer. Because really, you know, prayer is just our relationship with God spoken. Imagine with, uh, with me and Sue, if the only time I ever spoke to Sue was when I wanted her to do something for me. Um, you know, so the only time we ever had a conversation was when I wanted a meal or uh, I wanted my clothes ironing or I wanted something done for me. It would be a very poor relationship, wouldn't it? And yet that mirrors many of our prayer lives. Because we only turn to God when we want him to do something or when we're in uh, some sort of uh, calamity. And it's almost as if it's a, a, a last thought that we'll turn to God. Whereas if our daily prayer life was just an ongoing conversation with God, so we were talking to God all the time, um, it would be so much better. So let's encourage one another in our prayer lives. Let's, uh, let's tell somebody when you're praying for them. It's really encouraging, you know, if, if you're doing something and someone says, you know, I'm going to pray for you. You might know that somebody's got a, a difficult meeting at work or they've, they've got a difficult situation or there might be some illness in the family. And if you just say to somebody, I'm praying for you, it's a great encouragement. So, perfecting the people of God. We're not going to reach perfection, but let's not stop it from attempting. Let's aim high. Let's aim for perfection. Let's seek to become better people, nicer people, so that when people meet us, uh, they see something of Jesus within us. So perfecting the people of God, and then practicing the presence of God. Practicing the presence of God. Stolen this from a, a title of a book that some of you may be familiar with, a classic by Brother Lawrence. Um, and he says this in the book, Practicing the Presence of God, in continuing the practice of conversing with God throughout each day and quickly seeking his forgiveness when I fell or strayed, his presence has become as easy and as natural to me now as it was once difficult to attain. And what Brother Lawrence is talking about there is the honesty that sometimes God's presence is difficult to attain. And the only way it becomes easier is by practicing. 
You know the idea that just as, you know, when I was a little kid I used to stand against the wall and kick a ball or knock a tennis ball against the wall and practicing in the hope that I would get better. You know, in our Christian lives, in our disciple making and becoming, uh, we become better by actually practicing. And this doesn't sound very spiritual. But sometimes you just need to practice things to become better. How did you learn to pray? Well, probably you learned to pray by sitting in a prayer meeting and hearing other people pray. You know, sometimes when you're in a prayer meeting, you can tell a lot of people's backgrounds by the way that they pray. You can, you can kind of sense where they're coming from. And it's because it's learned behaviour. Uh, we listen to what other people do and we copy it. There's nothing wrong with that. That's how we learn. It's how, uh, you know, teachers teach children at school. It's copied behaviour. And that uh, we need to be practising the presence of God. And if we're honest, it's something that most of us aren't very good at. You know, we might not be able to go very long without complaining, but how long can we pray for before our minds wander? I'm sure you've all had that experience of, uh, you know, you might start to pray and before you know it, you're thinking about something else that's happening next week or something that you've got to do or something that you haven't done. And our minds wander because it is a practice, it's a discipline that we need to get better at. And we only get better by practicing the presence of God. It's a great book, a classic book, and uh, uh, I encourage you to, to look at it. So then, just as you received Christ, this is what Paul says, Jesus is Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Continue to live in him, rooted in him, built up in him, strengthened in the faith. Practicing the presence of God. Um, We want to be rooted in God. And uh, the more time we spend with God, the more we're going to become to know God. The more it's going to enrich our lives and the better disciples you and I will be. Practicing the presence of God is what we need to be about. The people of God are compared to salt scattered in the world. This is a call to you know, individual Christians to work out their faithfulness in the world. But does an individual Christian cease to be a member of the church when they go out in the world? Not at all. When we go out into this place, we are still the church. And being an everyday disciple is about being the church where we are. That you and I are representatives of Jesus in this world. And, you know, the average Christian imagines that they go to work alone. They go about their daily lives alone. Um, But actually, um, we go out there as representatives of the church. And you and I need to show an interest in each other's lives. We need to get to know each other and so that we can pray into each other's lives and encourage one another and build each other up. Because we are in the business of making disciples. That's what we do. That's our business. And there's a sense in which at the end of every year, you know, when we're doing a uh, kind of, you know, getting all the statistics together, one of the things we should ask is how many disciples have we made this year? How many disciples have we made? You know, at the end of the year, have we been successful in what we're supposed to be doing? 
we might realise that we're not doing quite as well as we thought we were doing. Because if we're not making disciples, whatever else we're doing, and we might be doing lots of things really well, if we're not actually making disciples, we're failing in the commission that Jesus gave to go and to make disciples. You and I are disciples. And we only have one role, and that is to become a better disciple, but also to make other disciples. So, let's include that in our annual audit, shall we? Let's see how many disciples uh, we make by the end of the year. And uh, we've still got a couple of months to go, so it's not too late. And uh, there's some wonderful opportunities coming up. And uh, we need to get into that habit of uh, of thinking about discipleship in a different way. That we are to engage every day of our lives in being a disciple of Jesus. And the church's goal um, is not um, to build a church. Christ does that. The goal of the church is to make disciples. That was what Jesus spent most of his ministry doing. If you look at the life of Jesus, he committed himself... Basically to 12 people. And he spent most of his ministry making disciples, encouraging those 12 people so that they could go and make more disciples. And that's what we have to do. We encourage the disciples around us in their discipleship so that we are equipped to go and make disciples. Let's pray together.